This is Not Quite Dead, a gal pal horror movie discussion podcast. We do deep dives on our favorite scary movies, but sometimes we really just like to keep it shallow. I'm your host, Kate. I'm Megan. Get ready for all the spoilers. I feel like when you think of Tim Burton movies, you don't think of Mars Attacks. No. <laughs> but then watching Mars Attacks, like especially following like Beetlejuice, you're like, oh yeah, this kind of feels like a Tim Burton movie. There's definitely little Tim Burton flourishes, especially in the music and in the dark humor. But I totally forgot this was a Tim Burton movie. It's got that great Danny Elfman score. But the look of it is just so, so different from his normal style. I mean, this is 1996, and so he's come off of the Batman movies and Beetlejuice, uh, lots of very, like, goth classic Tim Burton. And then this one is just so goofy and, like, retro in a lot of ways. It felt like it was just, like, a kind of a pet project for him to, like, sneak in in between all of his normal movies. It's not dark looking. And what else is funny about it is that it feels like a 50s movie, which was the point, right? Mm -hmm. Like some of these old approaches to relationships in the workplace, women being a sex object and not much more. The way that they deal with the aliens, it's just very 1950s poking fun. This movie marked the reconciliation between Tim Burton and Danny Elfman who had gotten into a little bit of a fight they had a breakup they missed a movie together oh no I had no idea what movie did they miss uh it was Ed Wood and they got over it and came back together again for Mars Attacks well I'm glad that they reconciled for this got some fun wine mom energy with the music I want to like talk about this movie Yeah, let's hear a summary. This movie came out in 1996, and it is about how Martians land on planet Earth um, in America, of course, and the American government wants to be the sole dignitaries responsible for welcoming these aliens. Turns out that these aliens do not come in peace. Pretty much on every meeting between the Martians and the U.S. government and the U.S. military, they are just killing as many people as possible. (laughs) This movie has so many characters in it. With so many different characters and so many different plot lines, you get a lot of really great vignette moments of how different types of people are reacting to this Martian invasion, how they want to fight against these Martians if they can, if possible. But really, it's just a super fun, super campy 50s throwback for Tim Burton. And the the real stars of the show here are the aliens. It's star-studded, just like Gremlins 2 was. I had not seen this movie prior to the season. It's the first time I watched it. Um, which I always love. I love getting exposed to new things when we do these seasons. And every scene, I was like, wow, there's four more huge movie stars in 
every scene. Should we go down the list? Sure, it's quite a list. sure. I mean, I think I've listed more than a dozen, and I and I know I'm missing twelve more. Oh yeah, you know, there's so many. Of course, this movie is starring Jack Nicholson. He is doing a dual role as the president of the United States, President Dale, and also this like skeevy Las Vegas casino businessman, Art Land. He reportedly wanted to play every role in the script. So Tim gave him two. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Tim Burton should have like shot some scenes with him doing more roles because I actually think that that would have been pretty funny. Jack Nicholson in every role. That would have been so amazing. It's very like Big Mama's house. Norbit. (laughs) Norbit. um, Nutty (laughs) Professor. Austin Powers. (laughs) Can somebody out there please do a deep fake edit for us? Oh my god! And do a clip. Yes. If any of our fans can deep fake, please use it for good and just put Jack Nicholson in as every role. I want to see his head on a chihuahua body. (laughs) Oh yeah. I was looking up this dual role concept because it's something I'm familiar with from theater and was just curious if there was more to it when they have scripts or screenplays or theater productions that call for one actor playing multiple roles it's for a couple of different reasons some of them are practical like budget reasons so sometimes you'll have a play where the cast is really tight and you know that there's not going to ever have two characters interacting with each other so they'll just reuse actors and then also that they will sometimes try and use actors playing two different characters to make some like thematic or comedic highlights and so I was trying to think and I wasn't getting too deep on this or anything but I was like oh it's pretty funny that he plays the president and then he also plays this like seem like he seems like a con man (laughs) in this he's like wheeling and dealing as the Martians are like landing on Vegas he's like they're here they're gonna need a place to stay as they're literally burning down everything around him yeah it's like both of these characters are like naively optimistic and I was like is this just like what people are like this is what Americans are like just naively optimistic about like how we're going to be able to make money off of these aliens (laughs) yes the aliens want to enter our economic system and not create their own We'll have to talk about that because there's a lot of underestimating these aliens happening in this movie. The first lady is played by Glenn Close of 101 Dalmatians fame, (laughs) among many other things. Glenn Close is incredible. And I think that she and Jack Nicholson are like the same age. And it like occurred to me watching this movie that this is like the only movie I've seen them in together. And I was just like, why have they not been in more movies together? She's funny in this. I love how obsessed she is with appearances. It's so on point for this movie, for this time. And Yes, she feels like a Nancy Reagan spoof. Definitely. I think that the movie, it kind of feels like a National Lampoon movie to me. I just like kept thinking of like the way that they're spoofing these characters and the settings and the way it's shot. Like so much of it just reminded me of like, those very B-movie 80s and 90s alien movies, but then with this, like, tint of, like, you know, 50s, like, sci-fi to it. Natalie Portman, she's 12 years old in this movie. She plays their daughter. Oh, I didn't realize she was 12. She's so She does look quite young. Martin Short. Like, who is he? He's the press secretary. Press secretary. Thank you. Yeah, so he plays the president's press secretary. I mean, he's Martin Short. He's very funny. He's one of the many people surrounding the president 
We also have Rod Steger, who plays General Decker. Pierce Brosnan. He plays like this professor. He's like a science consultant or something. You know, it's like one of those roles where you're like, and you put Pierce Brosnan in this? Like, I don't know. Like, it's yeah. really hard to buy. Like, he's he doesn't really seem like a nerdy enough or like nebbish enough to like be this role. I feel like they did it for the British accent. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. they give him a pipe. He is like the kind of quote unquote intellectual, which he's also one of the only like non-Americans in this movie. He falls for Sarah Jessica Parker's talk show host character, which had a whole plot line. So weird. She's funny in this. I love how she has her little dog with her everywhere she goes. She's got Michael J. Fox's eye. She's not into Michael J. Fox, but he's into her. He's another broadcaster, right? Yeah, he's a little bit more serious. So he's trying to be more like, I'm a journalist, whereas she's like on the celebrity beat, but she gets the scoop on him. But then she ends up with Mr. Brosnan anyway. It really made me wish that Sarah Jessica Parker had not gotten pigeonholed into Sex in the City in the late 90s because she's so funny. And I don't actually think that Sex in the City is all that funny. Like, I think that her character is not super funny. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Try rewatching it. I just rewatched literally all of Sex in the City three months ago, and it's not funny. The only actual funny character is Samantha. She's done a couple of not so good rom coms. I know because I watched them, hoping they'd be good, but they're rom coms, so they're not. She's in. That show Divorce on HBO, which actually I found really funny. Zach and I both thought that was pretty funny. She's in that with Thomas Hayden Church. They are great together. Oh, okay. <laughs> I could see that. Like, I feel like they would have good chemistry. There's like a million more people in this movie, including some real choice cameos from Danny DeVito. Yes, he has a little tiny role in this. Really forgettable role, actually. He's a He's a lawyer. He shows up in a couple of scenes in Vegas, and that's about it. Doesn't do a whole lot. I know. I was kind of hoping he'd have more because, I mean, like, he's Danny DeVito. It kind I of seems Danny like DeVito. he was called in maybe as a favor to Burton. Oh, can you shoot this scene for like an hour? <laughs> we'll put you in this movie. A young Jack Black is in this too. Which mm -hmm. I totally forgot. This is the first time I've seen this in 10 plus years. So I totally forgot who was in this other than Jack Nicholson. That was a treat. It was funny to see young Jack Black. He plays this idiot Kentuckian who joins the army to fight aliens and promptly gets killed because he's not good at it. I love them showing how like inept the military is from like top to bottom yes. because Jack Black is this like very boot camp, I'm a military recruit kind of guy. He spends so much time practicing putting the dumb gun together at home. And when he gets to the field and has to use it, all the ammo falls out. <laughs> Immediately. He surrenders. <laughs> Jim Brown of Cleveland Brown fullback fame and Pam Greer play a couple in this movie. I love Pam Greer. I love Archer. It was cool to see her in this. I totally forgot she was in this. This is like way too late now, but one of the things that was really cool about watching this movie, not knowing anything about it besides kind of what the aliens looked like, was not expecting how many famous people were in this movie. Yeah. I mean, because Christina Applegate's in this movie. Yes. She has, what is it, like three seconds on screen? And all she does is scream. Yeah. While she's having sex. That's it. 
They even got Tom Jones. We could keep doing this. We missed Annette Benning. Oh, shit. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Annette Benning plays a large role. She's got a huge role. She's this kind of like mystic, hippie desert woman. I did not recognize her. I did not realize that was her. Anyways, I mean, we could just, yeah, you're right. We could talk all day about how surprising all of these faces were. There are so many more people than this in this movie. So you're just going to get bamboozled with stars. One more star who was not credited, but is best known as the voice of Ghostface in the Scream film franchise was Roger L. Jackson. He plays the voice of the Martian translator device. And actually, this performance, yeah, helped him get the audition for Scream. Oh, amazing. I love that. I think that that's a really cool tie-in to just this season in general, because we keep talking about Scream, I feel like, in every one of these episodes. So how great is that? I was reading about Tim Burton's production process on this movie, and he said that he had not really worked with ensemble casts with many famous people before doing the Batman movies. And he wanted to challenge himself. And so he said that he knew when casting this movie that there were seven lead roles and then, you know, a dozen plus additional roles. And he wanted to see how he would be able to manage a star-studded cast. Like, would he be able to do a movie with a true ensemble cast? It feels weird to me to, like, test yourself on a movie. I mean, you're a writer. Would you test yourself on a book? Yes, because there's no one else's money that I'm gambling with. And I think that that's something that kind of bit Tim Burton in producing this movie. So this movie went through some... Some production challenges. Yeah, it didn't do very well. Yeah, it it had originally been specked out in the 80s. The original like screenwriter pitched this movie in the early to mid-80s. Studios kind of liked it, but they said, if we're going to do this, we actually want <laughs> someone completely different to rewrite this. So they took the script and totally reworked it. Years later, after Tim Burton has, you know, proved himself out with a bunch of success, he gets attached to it. The budget for this came in closer to $80 by the time it was all said and done. And then the studios decided to invest $20 million into marketing for this, which at the time was huge, a huge amount of money to market this. It was originally supposed to be stop motion aliens instead of CGI. And that had the budget up to a hundred grand. So once they cut out the the stop motion, it took it back down to 80. Crazy, crazy amount of money spent on this movie. Huge amount of money spent on this movie. And at the box office, it only made a hundred million. And so, so sad. it basically made no money. Yeah. And it critically didn't perform very well it's like 50 50 yeah it's got a 55 percent on rotten tomatoes it's effectively because it was a box office bomb and because it wasn't regarded very well when it came out it's it's become kind of a cult movie and probably will continue to gain cult status just the older that it gets but i thought that it was unfortunate for tim burton because this one was so expensive to make and it was kind of a gamble for the studios that when it flopped Tim Burton kind of went onto this like straight and narrow track where then he was just making 
movies that did well, like in his normal style. Like he didn't really branch out mm-hmm. from his style or like do things too risky after Mars Attacks. It's funny because, as you said earlier, this came out the same year as Independence Day. It was just a coincidence. Uh, They were supposed to come out around the same time, close to the beginning of summer. But this ended up getting delayed until December. And that also really hurt its ability to perform. Who knows how much better it would have done if it had been released at a better time. I do love Tim Burton's quote about (laughs) the similarities with Independence Day. I'm going to read this quote where he goes, it was just a coincidence. Nobody told me about it. I was surprised how close it was, but then it's a pretty basic genre, I guess. Independence Day was different in tone. It was different in everything. It almost seemed like we had done a kind of a mad magazine version of Independence Day. So true. It's very true. I saw both of these movies in theaters. I saw Independence Day twice, actually. (laughs) Independence Day was huge. Independence Day was the movie that made Will Smith like an action star. If it wasn't for Independence Day, we wouldn't have had that slap, guys. If it wasn't for Independence Day, we would not have the greatest steampunk Western ever, the Kevin Klein vehicle, Wild Wild West. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. (laughs) I did not. I just think about that movie sometimes. Oh, my gosh. I don't think I've ever seen it. Oh, Megan, it is not good. We'll have to watch it. Is there a how did this get made on it? Because I definitely want to listen. Almost certainly. It's quite bad. I hope so. I don't even like know if I want to go back and watch it again. This movie is specifically made to look like a B movie or like one of those 50s sci-fi movies. And I wanted to ask you, have you watched any 50s sci-fi movies or any like Ed Wood's style B movies? I haven't seen Ed Wood's stuff, no. Yes, I've seen a few older sci-fi movies, and I just, I have a hard time with them. They're so bad. I know, I'm a bad horror fan. I'm like stumbling now because I feel so guilty. No, I, I, I don't really watch them very often, but I have caught them. What it reminded me a lot of was Twilight Zone, especially the types of machinery and technology you see, like there's just a panel with buttons and you twist some knobs (laughs) and all of a sudden it's translating the entire language of these aliens that they've never met. I haven't seen like 50s style movie, like sci-fi stuff like that outside of Twilight Zone. I do appreciate some 70s style sci-fi movies. I don't have the background to it that I kind of wish that I did have watching this movie. Same. I think I probably would have appreciated that more if I had been a bigger fan of the 50s stuff. I was suspecting as I was watching it that some of the references were like very specific references. And I really only caught a couple when they're at the war room at the end of the movie. I was like, oh, this is Dr. Strangelove. And like, I mean, that's because like just culturally, we we know that. I was like, oh, there's probably so many more Easter eggs and references like this, like in this movie. It's very much like a filmmaker's homage kind of movie. Yeah. Like that's why it feels like a pet project to me for Tim Burton is he kind of snuck in all this stuff that he really loved into it. I mean, this is a movie based on a set of trading cards. And there's only 55 cards. It's not based on much. I'm going to put this on our blog, so make sure you check it out. 
The trading cards have really cool artwork. There's also, by the same trading card maker, a series called Dinosaurs Attack. There was, like, at one point, like, studio interest in making a Dinosaurs Attack. I wish they would. I know. I mean, it's basically Jurassic Park. But, like, I mean, how great would that would have been? It would have been so cool. Yeah, they actually had to stop creating these cards because people complained that there was too much sexuality and too much violence. Oh, my gosh. I wanted to look up the cards to be like, are they just being typical 60s folks, a little sheltered? No. If you look at card 36, there is a picture of an alien vaporizing a dog. It's so awful. <laughs> what? I mean, that's not the worst one, but that one really shocked me because you see the dog crying out in pain as it's being vaporized. Here, I'll send it to you so you can look at it. Yes, please. <laughs> right? I don't know what I was expecting, but that is pretty horrific. <laughs> it's pretty awful, right? Yeah. Love it. Wait, no, I think I want all these cards. I do too. I think they're hard to find. They're expensive, but you can get them on eBay if you guys are so inclined. Looking at this list of the cards, I like am very intrigued. I want to know what the card for removing the victims is. I know. So they'd re-release this later and you can buy that set, I think, fairly cheaply. But the originals are a bit more expensive. I feel like this is a great segue into talking about these aliens. Yes. Their design is like, frankly, pretty scary. And I feel like yes, I had seen posters or like VHS covers of this movie when I was a kid. These aliens are just so kind of grotesque looking. There's something about it that just like gave me the heebie-jeebies. And I was like, I don't want to watch that. They are creepy. They're really unsettling to be around. My skin always crawls a little bit when there's two scenes. Uh, when you see Sarah Jessica Parker being kept prisoner and they are like diabolically planning her demise. Like that always grossed me out seeing his face and seeing him get excited about it. There's, It's like this interspecies sexual weirdness going on that I don't like. Uh, and the other one is when, well, the alien dressed as a woman, Lisa oh, Marie, yeah. mm -hmm. that just made me uncomfortable because I, I hated the way Martin Short didn't think there's something wrong with this woman. And he tried to have sex with her. I so gross. No, I know. They take one of their aliens, they dress her up in a skin suit so that she can seduce Martin Short, basically so she can get access to the White House and kill more people. Turns out the secretary does not need to be seduced because she doesn't talk to him once. She just wiggles her weird, like, slithery movements towards him. And he's like, would you like to come into the White House? That's it. He just invites her in. And, of course, she kills him. Her head is huge. They have these huge bulbous heads. And you're wondering, like, well, where's the brain? And it's in her hair. She's got a giant beehive. Her whole outfit is reminiscent of the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. This is one of those callbacks, I would say. She looks a little Marilyn Monroe. She's got a huge beehive, which would be enough to ward me off. I think if I saw somebody that looked like her and had a hairstyle like that that you don't see anymore at night, by the White House, <laughs> I would think something was wrong with her. You know, watching it, I kept thinking about how it would make an excellent 
drag queen costume. Yes. Because it's very campy. It's very like 50s. She's in this sequinish like wiggle dress, got these like swirls all over it. And she just looks so extreme. It looks like you took like a 50s salon model and just like cranked the volume all the way up on it. She looks out of place, I guess, is what I would say. And she's like, this is something I want to bang. She's also chewing gum. And we find out that the gum is like pure nitrogen. It's concentrated nitrogen and it's to help them breathe. So we know that they breathe nitrogen, which I thought was funny about them wearing masks or, you know, headgear in order to breathe. Our atmosphere is 78% nitrogen. You think that they would do okay here. I had so many incorrect predictions. I know. We have to talk about that. (laughs) I really thought this movie was going to go in so many different directions and at about like the halfway point in this movie I was like I have never watched a movie where I have not been able to guess what is going to happen. It stumped you. (laughs) It really did. I was like I don't I don't know like if I were a filmmaker and I introduced this like concept of these aliens who need to wear these bubble helmets to breathe and they figured out that they can chew nitrogen, I would be like, oh, what's the opposite of nitrogen? That's how we'll kill the aliens. Like, you know, (laughs) something like that. And it's like absolutely not the direction they go in. They also mention that they can potentially read our thoughts. They Mm -hmm. say that they don't have genitals. And none of this matters. None of this has anything to do with the plot. It's just funny things they want to tell us that go nowhere. So yeah, it stumped you, Kate. I didn't think anybody was going to die when I first saw this. I thought, these are famous people. They're not going to kill them. I thought Annette Benning's character was going to die first because she just seemed like this kooky lady who wanted to, like, welcome the aliens. And I was like, this woman is the type of woman who's going to insert herself where she doesn't belong and she's going to get killed. And it's going to be an interstellar incident. And of course, she makes it to the end. She's actually really on top of things. Like she thinks at first that they're going to be friendly because that's what everyone's been saying. And she figures out pretty quick, like, hey, these guys aren't actually good. We need to hide. And she's like, let's go to Tahoe and hide in the caves. So smart. I was just cycling through characters where I was like, this person's going to be the person who lives. And then like the next scene they would die i mean this is how these martians are these martians just are ray gun happy and like they kill people in a lot of different ways but they really love those like disintegration ray guns i thought it was hilarious how the skeletons would freeze in place no matter what the person was doing even if their hand was up in the air or like somewhere that you would need muscles to hold it the skeletons would freeze in the way that they died And turn green and red to match the lasers that they were shot with. Yes. Was there an actual difference between the green and the red lasers? I had to look this up, too, because it was driving me nuts. Like, I was like, wait, why is there red and green skeletons? And it's just a different color of their guns. Okay, because it seemed like they disintegrated the same. Yeah. There was really no difference. Yeah. I couldn't tell if there was a difference or if there was, it was very subtle. And this is not a subtle movie. So I was assuming no. But I really like the effects with the skeleton. It like kind of melts slash disintegrates like their flesh. 
around them and then it yeah it just leaves the skeletons in these goofy positions i love how when we try to shoot back at them it just ricochets off of their suits and they're these little wimpy guys they're like little stick figures with giant heads and you'd think they'd be easy to take out but their technology protects them from our stupid guns and from our stupid uh nuclear attacks (laughs) they have such good technology i mean the technology in this movie is pretty silly but They have, in addition to the ray guns, they also have a shrinking tool. (laughs) They only use once. They only use it once. I was like, okay, but they they shrink. They shrink one of the generals, right? And then they stomp him. Yeah, they shrink the general. The general, yeah. He's the one that's been pushing to use nukes all movie long, and they finally do. And the nukes get launched, and the aliens just use their Looney Tunes defense system to scoop it out of the air and they basically suck the gas I guess from it and it's basically a helium balloon for them it's so funny (laughs) they're just mocking us the whole time Looney Tunes is a perfect description of this movie actually it's like a sister movie to Gremlins 2 these Martians also kind of similar to Gremlins too. They seem very mayhem and hijinks oriented. Very much. They very gleefully kill people in horrific ways. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, a lot of people die. Many, many, many people die in this movie. But we also get that scene where when they're in the White House attacking um, early on in the movie and they cut the chandelier and the chandelier falls on Glenn Close's first lady. She just like pancakes. Yes. Yeah. It's just like so cartoony. I also like that scene where they knock over the because they they start going around and messing with all of our landmarks too. Not not just in America, but yes. they knock over the Capitol building and there are some Boy Scouts in front that are running away from it. And so they go to the opposite side of the Capitol building and tip it. Just so it lands on the scouts. I mean, this movie's like very like US centric, but like they like dip in at the Taj Mahal and cause some mayhem. Yeah, it's like like somehow these aliens just like know how to fuck with us. Like in particular, yeah. they're like, oh, we're going to go to the places that you love to take pictures in front of. <laughs> yeah. And then they get their own little picture while they're blowing it up. It's their version of tourism. Little assholes. Nobody takes these guys seriously, which... I didn't think about as much the first time I watched this, but rewatching it for this, it was driving me nuts. I was like, how many times do they have to show you that they have no good intentions? I agree. I just feel like it's just making fun of American optimism or like Americans feel like you can't fool me twice, but then we just get fooled over and over and over again. I mean, the first scene Sure, where they're like, we're going to approach this like we're both intelligent species and we're going to do this meeting and we're not going to be hostile. And then the Martians kill everyone there and then they invite them to Congress. I was comparing this in my head to Arrival when the ships land in Arrival. There's so much precaution. It's secret. They spend, what, months trying to figure out the alien language and getting to know each other. This is like a dog and pony show in the middle of the Nevada desert. There are tourists in bleachers set yeah, up on the they set side. Up like bandstands. And- yeah, they set, they set up this to be like a televised event. And I think if we had the wrong president at the time, this is 100% what would happen. Definitely. And so I don't 
see it as totally out there. I also think that Americans would be so obnoxious if aliens landed. I think that Americans would just be like, those are my aliens. Like, it doesn't matter where they would land. We would just like show up. We'd be like, yes, they landed in Tibet. But now this is my land because these are my Martians. So it just makes it even worse that they land in like, you know, the Nevada desert. The president says no to nuking after after they attack. No to closing the schools. He wants to continue as usual. And he wants to put cops on every corner. What a plan. Defund the police. It's just very familiar. Yeah, you're totally right, though. They underestimate these guys. I mean... They bring them into Congress, and the president looks so put out that he didn't get invited to this. And the press secretary is like, Ugh, there's this like stupid rule about not having two branches of the government in the same room at the same time. 30 seconds later, like all of Congress is decimated. <laughs> we left a name off this list. This is where we get that great line from Sylvia Sidney, who we forgot to include in our cast. She's our caseworker in Beetlejuice. And she goes, they killed Congress. And she's just having a ball over it. <laughs> I was like, you go, lady. That would have been my reaction, too. I know, right? Uh, you're like, fresh start, clean slate. Exactly. And that whole room is just old white men. It's very funny. It's very on purpose. And then the president of France also invites the aliens for a treaty. And of course, he gets blown up as well. This would happen. Okay, so this movie is funny because I'm like, if we had the wrong people in office, if we had Trump as president... And if Marine Le Pen was like president of France, Le Pen would be like, they were just killing Americans, but they would not do that to the French and would invite them over. You see the in the background of that scene, the Eiffel Tower being split in half. I just found that funny because why would that be? It, it just doesn't. It looked very fake. Yeah, it's not actually set in France if you don't get a shot of Paris and the Eiffel Tower. Exactly. With a baguette. Yeah, this whole movie, I feel like they feel like they can course correct. They're like, surely we can make something happen with these aliens. But our nuclear weapons, our greatest weapon, does nothing to them. No. The way they die is so out of left field and fucking hilarious. So there are two alien deaths that I counted before the mass Martian extinction. I'm glad you were keeping track. Early on, one of them gets their helmet broken. The helmet breaks and then it's like, oh, they can't breathe our atmosphere. You'd think that that would have a bigger effect on the plot. Does not. Nah. And then our Madame Martian, our Lady Martian, she is shot by White House security. Right. And she's killed by being shot. So we know that they can die by being shot if they're not wearing their armor and then if their helmets get broken and they don't have their nitrogen. But the way that, like, the rest of them get killed is, like, so ridiculous. It's, like, not just music. It's a particular song. It's the Indian Love Call. I have a couple of couple of facts about this song written down. Megan, can you tell me about this song? Because I don't have any notes about this song. It actually was written in the 20s, and it's from an operetta called Rosemary. It's kind of like a Romeo and Juliet story. Girl falls in love with guy. Guy gets framed for murder. Girl gets promised to another guy. Basically like people trying to keep the two apart. 
and it's set in the Canadian Rocky Mountains. I like that they just stumbled upon this solution. There's no ingenuity. There was no intelligence. It's just an old lady liked listening to a weird old song, and there happened to be Martians nearby. And and it's right before you think she's going to get it. I, and I assumed she would because everyone else was. Why not? But no, she's got her record player and starts playing, and their heads burst. Their big, giant brains burst. The yodeling is too much. So green goo goes everywhere. I was thinking about this phenomenon of like music making head explode. Me too. (laughs) Well, I was thinking about it in like in movies because I feel like this is a trope that comes up in movies. The big one I could think of was in Dogma where the voice of God is like Alanis Morissette kind of sings and then it like pops people's heads, Uh, which also came out around 96, 97 too. So I was like, oh, it's kind of funny that like these things – we're kind of coming up around the same time. I wanted to know if you could actually kill someone with sound or if this was just completely insane. Apparently you you could. You could do it. If it was loud enough? Yeah. So we actually, or I shouldn't say we, I should say acoustic grenades are in use generally. And those are roughly 120 to 190 decibels. And those are used to just stun people. They're, they're meant to, yeah, they're meant to kind of take you out of commission, but not, they can't physically hurt you. A blast of 210 decibels or around there, that would be enough to affect your inner organs. And so it wouldn't necessarily kill you on the spot, but you would die from that like maybe on your way to the hospital or something. It, that gives me like a weird visceral reaction where I'm like, I don't want to die that way. Yeah. What a freaky way to die. Very and weird. How miserable that would be for you, even beyond your innards getting the brunt of it. You know, your ears. <laughs> it's just painful to hear loud things sometimes. I know. I feel like it would just burst your eardrums and that would be so Ugh. painful. Gross. A lot of this movie takes place in Vegas specifically the Luxor, which I remember was a brand new hotel around that time. I remember when it was built. I have not been to the Luxor. I haven't been to Vegas very many times, and I've only ever stayed at like two hotels that I could maybe even think of offhand. I do think that there's a lot of like really beautiful hotels to just walk around. Do you have a favorite? I thought that it was going to be cheesy, but I do think that the Paris hotel is like really cute it is cute and they have a really good restaurant there too i really like caesar's palace for the shopping and for that famous buffet that they have but you're right like i've not stayed in a lot of fancy vegas hotels i usually go for somewhere cheap (laughs) because i'm cheap but as a kid i went to circus circus and excalibur and i loved those places because they were kid friendly and when i was in college i stayed at the stratosphere once and that was fun fun. i I definitely did the ride on top it was the ride itself is not that fun like it's not very fast but it's fucking scary because it always looks like you're about to die that's so crazy i would never would never go on that ride i'm not a roller coaster person i do like the Bellagio Fountains. I mean, I feel like such, I, I haven't been to Vegas that, that much, so I feel like a very basic bitch about the whole thing. But I'm like, oh, the fountains and that um, pyramid and 
oh look the vegas sign you know i i'm like i'm like one of those people so i mean that's what vegas is right it's it's all a facade it's fun it's you just go and you enjoy all the kitschy stuff and get your jollies i i love vegas i think it's so funny that they decided to have so much of this movie take place in vegas it's like bouncing between dc and vegas and uh the tahoe area unusual but sure the set pieces for like having all these gamblers and then having these vegas people and then once they figure out that this music is helping to kill these martians that's when we get the tom jones character yeah i just love that especially in this time period you could not have a movie set in vegas without a cameo from either tom jones or wayne newton or the tiger Siegfried and guys. Roy. Yes. Yes. Yeah, they're all iconic. Yeah. It was just like, oh, you're doing a Vegas movie? Like, you're going to get one of these guys. Take your pick. And people do residencies now. And so they're not yeah. like 25 years at the Bellagio like Siegfried and Roy did. So it's not quite the same. Maybe Celine Dion. I got to see Brittany during one of her residencies there. That was fun. Oh, that would have been great. I have never seen a residency show. I would love to at some point because I just love the flair of it. It's fun. I have seen a Cirque du Soleil show. Fabulous. I would definitely go do that again. That's what I – I'm not a gambler. Same. I do like seeing shows and I like hanging out by pools and I like drinking expensive watered-down cocktails by a pool. I thought it was so on point that everybody continued to gamble and business as usual in Vegas as the aliens were attacking. A hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> we saw that a few years ago. Yeah. The buildings needed to be literally crumbling down before people were actually like leaving their yes. seats. Even Danny DeVito, he's going through the wasteland that is now Vegas and he's like, I'm going back to the hotel. I'm like, dude, there's no hotel. For me, having seen this movie for the first time this year, I thought it was like a pretty good romp like things for the most part seem to to hold up better than some other movies that we've watched this season there's one particular joke that I caught where it made me do a double take and I was like this is probably the only joke in this movie that I think doesn't hold up it doesn't stay funny and that's when we see Pam Greer she's a bus driver she is just doing her route and she comes to a stop sign looks to her right and sees her kids playing at an arcade instead of being in school she stops the bus gets off the bus grabs them and has like this interaction with them that involves her slapping them and kind of just disciplining them loudly right Mm -hmm. a lot of us grew up with getting spanked and slapped in the 90s and that was just sort of like it, it happened sometimes. What's not cool, I think, about this joke is that when she gets back on the bus with her kids, everyone starts cheering. Everyone starts cheering for this black woman who has just violently punished her children in broad daylight in front of everybody. Yeah, you're totally right. Watching it, I thought it was a little weird when she was talking to her estranged husband and they're talking about these boys and her husband's kind of like, oh, these boys just, they need to just be on their own if they're gone for a couple days, et cetera, et cetera. And then you see these boys and they're like 12 and 14. And you're like, wait, what? No, they're not teens. They're not like almost out of high school. Like they're quite young. 
Yeah. And then her <laughs> beating them. People today, I mean, for one thing, that wouldn't make it into a movie today. Like, and certainly not people cheering for it. It's really reminiscent of um, that Baltimore riot back in 2015. This mother saw her son out and participating and went over to him and just beat him on camera. She got so much praise. She got praise from the entire country saying she's mother of the year. There are so many racial complexities at play here with this sort of scenario. And it's it was interesting to me how they touch on it in Mars Attacks. There's a very specific reason why Black mothers beat their kids more often than than white kids uh, get beat by their parents. And it's it's a bit dark. <laughs> Making a joke out of it, I thought, was in poor taste. I don't think it's great. I don't think that Tim Burton has good racial politics. I I think that like in the context of this, it is important to say that Tim Burton is like not really a director that people should aspire to when it comes to diversity and casting. A couple years ago in an interview, someone asked him, why do the casts of his movies like all generally look the same? You know, a lot of thin, white, very pale people. And um, if he would cast more people of color in leading roles in his movies or just even in more roles in general. And he said that their look does not, quote, fit his aesthetic. Ooh, I miss that. So we have done a couple Tim Burton movies this season, and it didn't come up in Beetlejuice because there's no people of color in Beetlejuice. But I think that this joke's in poor taste. And then contextually, where in the last couple of years, people have been asking genuine questions around like what are you doing as a renowned filmmaker to bring this change into your movies and he's very stuck in some very racist ideas of what an aesthetic or what beauty is so that's something I think we probably have a responsibility to share or at least if you know just thinking about it when you're watching his movies yeah and I wasn't aware of that so thank you for that so a happier relationship we see in this movie is something that Kate and I can both relate to. And that is the Richie and his grandma relationship. I love this because I love his grandma. She's so cute. And I love that she like so obviously favors him. Her dementia moment where she's talking to him and she's like, Richie's my favorite. I, my heart melts a little bit right there. It's so cute. And like his immediate family, like his parents and his brother are just terrible. And so when the Martians are attacking, he's like, I'm going to the nursing home. I'm getting I'm getting grandma. Like he's like, I don't care about the rest of you. I'm just gonna go get grandma. Dad's like, she's halfway to outer space already. That is such a good line. That's who I would have gone to get. Yes. I loved my grandma. I love my grandma. I have such a good relationship with my grandma. We both have great relationships with our grandma. And like I know that if we were in a situation where there was the ability to save our grandmas and help defeat the Martian invasion with them, that we would 100% go and go get our grandmas. The four of us would go live together and be happy. It's so sweet. I just love a good grandparent-grandchild relationship in movies. And it's not like a common thing that comes up. And she's at the end with him when the mariachi band is playing the national anthem. And she's like looking at him give his weird ass speech. I love their relationship. It was a nice thread to have in the movie because it took you out of the insanity a bit. 
Yes. I was glad that there were some genuine moments like through this movie to balance. Not that it's cynical. I mean, it's like a little bit of a cynical movie. So many people die. They're basically saying like, oh, this entire government system is maybe corrupt, but definitely inept. The military is inept. Somehow this teen boy and his grandma figure out how to kill all the aliens. We learned this in Interstellar, Kate. It's because of love. Love is what killed the aliens. Oh, there you go. We have talked a lot about some of the funny moments in this movie. I would love to hear your top comedy moments, though. I wrote down a million things. It was kind of hard to pick out three. I won't talk about any of the stuff we've already mentioned, but number one on my list was the no bird sign. <laughs> that is a good one. I really liked that. We skipped this a uh, little. I mean, there's so much happening in this movie. It's easy to skip stuff. But when the Americans meet the aliens, they release a dove, a symbol of peace. And that's the first thing the aliens shoot. <laughs> it's so funny. And that's what, prom you know, that's what everyone thinks prompts the whole massacre. The next time we meet the aliens, there are people holding up signs, you know, like, I forget what the first sign says. This is no something. The second one says no birds because we don't want to repeat. I love bits like that. So good. Another line I liked was when the first family was being moved out of the White House it's a callback to an earlier part of the movie. One of the Secret Service blocks a doorway and he goes, we can't go through here. There's a tour going through here <laughs> as the aliens are attacking. The, the tour gag is so good that there's just always a tour going on at the White House. And the last thing I wrote down was uh, at the AA meeting that um, Annette Benning attends. You look in the audience and everybody's smoking cigarettes. Oh, such good moments. I have my own list of moments, so... I really liked the visual gag of Sarah Jessica Parker and Pierce Brosnan's floating heads. Oh, yeah. And they're like trying to kiss as they're being like abducted and their heads are just bouncing around. Right. We haven't talked about this. They both lose their heads. They do. Yeah. Okay. So, so the professor and our talk show host, there's so many plots in this movie, guys, and it's not even like a super long movie. They both get abducted and experiments are done on them. Sarah Jessica Parker's head is grafted onto her toy pet chihuahua at one point. Pierce Brosnan's head is just removed and is like kind of put on this floating platform type thing. And they're still trying to get with each other. It's so weird. That's the thing I really like about it. <laughs> One of my my other favorite moments was I'm laughing because it's probably my top moment is when the Martians want to kill our dear sweet grandma. There's like four of them wheeling in this like huge like ten foot death ray <laughs> into her room to kill her, and she's just like pointed towards a corner in her wheelchair, staring at this record player. <laughs> like this is just so over the top. They don't need this huge death ray. I love when they killed all of Congress. I know we already talked about it, but genuinely thought it was hilarious. And I did love the grandma's reaction to Congress being killed. Well, for scary moments, one of mine is actually your top funny moment. That's the sneaking up on Granny. And I put that one down because, like I said, when I first saw this movie, I thought they were actually going to kill her. It made me like panic a little bit because <laughs> I loved her. The uh, amount of Martians surrounding Earth is quite scary. <laughs> So many, like a huge number, actually. Like overwhelming. And when they shoot the nuclear bomb and it doesn't work, 
and you realize that was one bomb. We don't really have many more than that. And there's like a million planes in the sky or not planes, but UFOs in the sky. Like, oh, we're fucked. Yeah, there's no coming back from it. That's another tie into 50s movies that we didn't call out. It's just the style of the ships. Yes, their ship technology, very, very classic UFO flying saucer. And then my third moment was leaving Jim Brown alone with the aliens. Because again, I thought he was going to get it. And I love Jim Brown's character. He's a sweetheart. Jim Brown plays this, uh, or I guess I should say retired boxer, heavyweight champion. And he actually gets to do a no weapons, man to man fist fight with this alien leader, which is hilarious because they are the scrawniest things you've ever seen. As the plane flies away, he's doing this to make space for the plane to leave. You just see them swarm him. And I was so sad because, again, everybody gets it in this movie. And he had just called Pam Greer. He's like, I love you. He was going to try to go home to see her again and his kids. And it just broke my heart a little bit. What about you? Did anything in this movie scare you? I didn't find anything particularly scary, but I did have some creepy or surprising moments. I thought the look of the Martians, I really hate their eyes like they have these round bulbous eyes and this exposed brain and I hate the way they sound like I know it's like such a trope of their like ack, 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 but like it's terrible everything about them I'm like Ugh, get them off the screen they don't have eyelids either they just sort of like use their skull I guess yeah. to like change their brow it's unsettling I was right as a child to feel creeped out because I, they're still creepy as an adult. I thought that, I mean, it's very funny when the alien uh, shoots the bird, but I was very surprised that then they turn and shot the general immediately. I wasn't expecting him to die. I wasn't expecting them to shoot him. There was like, I genuinely was surprised that I was like, oh, they got startled. So they shot the bird and now they'll continue they have a translator, like they'll figure this out. And I was surprised. And especially in this horror comedy season, I have been bucketing surprise into the horror category quite a bit. That's fair. And my last one was when the press secretary is trying to get it on with the lady Martian and she bites off his finger. It was another like unexpected gross thing. And as he like pulls his hand away, he like rips her skin off of her face a little bit. So you can see the like alien skin underneath. It's very brief and it's not really something that they even focus on that much. But I was like, ooh, this is this is good. Like I kind of wish that she had like ripped her skin off more or I don't know like it was like a nice little horror tease I had that on my list so I'm glad you got to it what do you think that about the genre of this movie comedy horror something else entirely I would put this under comedy if you're not into horror movies I don't think this one would scare you I think it's only funny I feel like the stuff that would creep you out might have creeped you out if you were our age when you saw it like as a kid right when it came out rewatching it None of this stuff is actually scary. I would put this in the comedy camp. Um, I think that it's not scary. I wouldn't really 
put it in the horror category. I think comedy sci-fi would definitely fit. Uh, and I mean, sci-fi has some overlap with horror. I mean, there's a lot of death in this one, but it's just not scary. I think that comparing it as like an other side of the coin to Independence Day is like actually pretty good. Oh my God. I want to read that thesis. <laughs> I think it's like a little inverse of, of Independence Day. So I think that's really the vibe it goes for. But in terms of recommendations... I would highly recommend this one. It's a good time. Yay! Me too. I mean, I was going to recommend it, but I'm glad that you saw it for the first time and still recommend it. So that means it holds up. It really does. I mean, while we were watching it, I was finding it very funny. There are so many good actors in this, and so it's not like you're getting bad performances. I think it's an easy, campy, cult classic comedy. Well, we really hope you guys enjoyed Mars Attacks as much as we did. And we will join you next week for another ensemble comedy. The Dead Don't Die. And it is our last movie of the season. So make sure to tune in. And then, of course, tune in for our finale episode the following week. This was not quite dead. Check out our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at NotQuiteDeadPodcast and on Twitter at NQD underscore podcast. Follow our blog for bonus content at NotQuiteDeadPodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And happy watching.